Good morning. Wow. Interaction. I love it. All right. Well, today's June 12th, and if my grandfather were alive, he'd be 106 today. And I only bring that up because my grandfather was a carpenter, and uh, Grandpa loved to work. He always wanted to work, but being in the Union and strikes in the 60s and 70s, that wasn't always possible. Um, and then I stand here and I look at, you know, I've never actually preached in Utah before, um, but standing in front of what looks like the Monument Valley, I'm just, I'm totally impressed with a few things. One, I just want to say um, thank you, Cornerstone, for providing the supplies for, BB, for VBS this next week. And I really want to thank Christy and her team for working so hard. This is going to be an amazing week. I'm really looking forward to it. And all of this work reminds me of a time in uh, Exodus 28 where God looks at Moses and he says, you know, I've got a tabernacle for you to build. This is going to be a huge, arduous task. And in chapter 31 he says, but I've got two guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, and I've granted them specific ability as skilled craftsmen to work, to execute the project, to plan it and perform it. And so Tom and Christy's team, thank you very much for being those skilled craftsmen. Um, I'm really looking forward to VBS this week. I hope you are too. Good, excellent. All right, uh, we're gonna look at uh, a bunch of things this morning. And, oh, right. Clicker. There you go. Yeah, interestingly enough, one of the things they don't tell you is how this works. So, apparently it's just an unknown, unwritten rule, so you gotta figure that out. All right, so uh, I wanna start us off in a recap a little bit. Two weeks ago, uh, Bob reminded us as we wrapped up chapter two that God's choice to save us uh, gives us comfort and hope, and that God chose, chose us from the beginning to be saved. And as a result of that, Paul in, uh, in 2.14 tells the Thessalonian church, gonna mess that up a lot today, the Thessalonian church to stand firm in what they know and what they've been taught, both by uh, uh, his personal instruction, by his letter, and by, well, look at that, magic. Um, and so, so far, let's look at a few things as to what he's reminded them. First, he reminded them that their faith was increasing. You know, they learned from Paul and the Holy Spirit was active in their lives. They were growing in spite of the persecution they were under and Paul encourages them that they will be counted worthy in the kingdom. And then he reminds them that while they're suffering and being persecuted, it's not their job to seek retribution. Don't be fearful. God's got your back. It's ultimately up to him to bring destruction on those that cause suffering. Suffering to his children. It might not be now, but persevere. The creator isn't asleep or uninformed of your struggle. He's coming in glory. Know this. Our God, our Christ is returning. Be convinced of this. This should give you hope. And, and God is making them worthy of his calling. 
giving them power to, to perform their deeds motivated by faith. Third thing, third thing we looked at. Paul says, look, some of you have been duped. You've been tricked into believing some teaching or letter that didn't come from us. Don't do that. You haven't missed the day of the Lord. Christ is coming in glory. Don't worry about it. There's a bunch of stuff that has to happen before the day of the Lord occurs. So remember, number four, remember, stand firm. You were chosen by God. You stand firm in what you know to be true. You were selected. And last week, Mike reminded us, he spoke to the beginning of chapter three and that Paul models in his humility that, that he needs prayer. And knowing that he is their teacher is dependent upon God. And, and he reminds them that God is abundantly faithful. And then he writes this. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Other translations say is disorderly or leads an unruly life. Walking in idleness and not in accord with the, tra the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle or undisciplined when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And it was not because we don't have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone, here it is, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Easy, right? After all this encouragement, this is the bomb he drops. Okay, so before we get into um, looking at how we can understand the passage, I need to set some backgrounds for you and to our ideas about work since that's one of the big focuses of this passage. Okay, so background. If we begin looking at this passage as we should any passage, we should begin our understanding filtered through the concept of the story of God. And if we do that, we find a few things that should be particularly helpful in seeing what's going on here. And the very first thing that we see as the story opens is God in creation. The all-eternal one opens his story with work in, as the creator. And so in Genesis 2, we read this. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. 
So certainly it seems from the very beginning, God's plan, even before sin entered the picture, was work. And because God in his omnipotence chose to work, once Adam's created, what's the very first thing he does with him? He calls him to work. He gives Adam an amazing and wonderful job in which he picks Adam up and he, the, and he says, you know, the way you can best bring me glory is by living out this task. And in Genesis 2.15, in scripture says in Genesis 2.15 that he puts Adam in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the only barrier he puts on Adam is don't eat from that tree. That one, right there. Don't eat that. But please, enjoy the rest of the garden. Enjoy the rest of the garden. And so scripture records what seems to be Adam's first task. Anybody know what that is? Name the animals, that's job one. And we learn that Eve was created, and we see the serpent then wreak havoc on the plan. Sin enters the world. God's plan is rejected for one of their own making. And part of the curse is that work, which apparently seemed easier and joyful, now becomes hard and frustrating because the ground is cursed by the sweat of your brow, which apparently wasn't an issue before sin. See, and this is the difficulty. See, we live in a post-fall reality. We live on this side of the serpent. And because of that, we lose sight of the fact that work was created for good. And it was, it was a way to enjoy and participate in the provisions of God. And we forget that. And we forget what looks like, what work looked like because we're after the fall. We forget that God worked in creating. He works to sustain life and, and he works to redeem. These are kind of God's three main ways he works in creating and sustaining and redeeming. We seem to also forget because we concentrate on Christ's ministry that for 30 years he worked hard before that. So if God worked and Christ worked, and we know Christ was sinless, it seems to me there's something about work we should be paying attention to. See, in creation, work was good. And after the fall, work is hard and it gets corrupted by sin, which means it can lead to idolatry and it's where we get our identity. And so instead of me being Elder Dan, I'm Dan the accountant. Somebody says, what do you do? Well, I'm an accountant. No, I'm a child of God, but accountant is the first thing that comes to mind. And, and so we, we end up finding our identity there. Our, our, our work is just, there's so much going on. There's selfishness and some work is just flat out evil. And there's error and loss and waste and tension and pressure and unfairness. And all of this that we end up experiencing in work is a result of the fall. And, and it seems that that's the side of work that we concentrate on the most. Now, 
Scripture speaks to all of that. But this passage, because we're not going to get to all of that, because unless you want to move in and pay rent. (laughs) So Scripture speaks to all of that, but this passage focuses on the goodness of work and the sinfulness of being unruly and not being willing to work. So as we look at this, keep in mind this background that work was created to be a good thing, something that God shows in his character right from the beginning. Work was good. Really, work was more than good. It was worship. It was worship. But I I don't, I think I just need to talk to you for a few minutes. Um, just, I made some notes, but it's kind of off script. Um, because a lot of times I forget what my real job is. See, I forget that my real job, my, the thing I'm really supposed to do, is to glorify God. And that's really easy to say. It's a great saying. What's your job? Oh, I glorify God. Great. How do I do that? Well, it seems to me that a good place to examine that is Ephesians 4, 1 through 12. I'm sorry, 11 and 12, which I don't have a slide for. So quit looking up there. Um, But Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Paul says, look, Christ gave the church kind of this group of people. He gave them apostles and prophets and teachers and shepherds and evangelists. And he gave them to them to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Sounds like that's my job. That's my real and true job. So if that's it, then I have to figure out, okay, what does the work of ministry mean? If that's what I'm supposed to be doing, if if I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ and my job is the work of ministry, I have to think of all of life through that lens. And so, okay, so how do I figure out what work of ministry is? Well, here, let me give you this. Equip for the saint, equip the saints for the work of ministry, I think, means this. Helping and preparing the followers of Jesus for the work of service to others. Helping and preparing the followers of Jesus for the work of service to others. So that's my real and true job, the work of service to others. And if that's my best work, I need to understand how to do that in all the different contexts I'm in. So this really hits hits head on the concept of the fact that some things I think in my life are sacred and some things are secular because there is no, all of my work as a follower of Jesus Christ, everything I do is supposed to be the sacred side. So if I think in a secular mindset, my goal actually is not to work. See, I'll work, but I only want to work for long enough to get to the weekend, right? Okay, Todd is famous for quoting the Loverboy song, working for the weekend, right, okay? No, I, I, I work because I want to retire, and then work will end, right? Then it becomes all about me. 
Um, I'll work, but only so I can provide me and mine more stuff or for leisure, right? That's what I'm trying to do. And so work, rather than being this good thing, ends up being that thing that blocks my actual goal because what I want is leisure. But this stupid work thing gets in the way. All right? Now I gotta tell you, I gotta be honest, sometimes I get completely trapped into the secular mindset. I do, and if you're honest with me, you probably do too. Um, It's been a hard week. I can't wait for the week to end so I can relax and get with family or get home or I'm really looking forward to a weekend away, whatever it is, or, or the job I'm doing is so routine I could practically do it in my sleep. And the, or I'm working just to get something I want. And, and sometimes it's hard for me if I'm seeing the job through a secular lens or if I'm just seeing it through difficulties as a result of the fall. So I wanna give you a couple of things. I have to remind myself of two verses. The first one is Matthew 25, 40, which says, as you did it to the least of any of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So who am I working for? I'm working for Christ, okay? And the second one is Colossians 3, 23 and 24, which says, I'm just gonna read it here. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, that's our job, that's our primary job. Okay, so how do I see my work as sacred? So for me, I see it in two ways. First, if I know that God's work is creating, sustaining, and redeeming, then I need to see if I'm filtering my work through that lens. So, okay, so what does creating look like in my world? Well, if you're Lori Seinfeld and you're a painter and you're artsy and you can do crafts, then creating is very simple. But if you're an accountant, creating's not quite so simple. So what does that look like for me? Well, for me, that looks like working with someone to resolve a problem with the IRS, okay? It's the creative process to come up with a conclusion. Now, my job is more in, I see God's work more in sustaining, okay? Trying to keep the business afloat, working toward goals, operational standards, a very sustaining work. And so if I get caught up in the details of it, I forget that really what I'm doing is emulating God as he sustains. Nurses are great at this, Lori and others. Um, are, are sustainers. They work to, to carry life out, and, and that's how they might live out in their context. Um, for me, redeeming is a little tougher, but it's when I have to remember that I am an image bearer of God, and I'm always in the process of trying to reflect him well. Now, the other way uh, we can see work is sacred, so So the first way we can see work is sacred is creating, is working the way God worked in creating, sustaining, and redeeming. And the other way we can see work um, the way God worked 
is, uh, or Sea Org is sacred is the way we display his attributes. The attributes of our indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so these are things like kindness and uh, encouragement. You could be known at your workplace for uh, integrity. For me, two of the ones that pop into mind are love and joy. I don't know why, they just kind of pop up that way. And so the question is, okay, so how do I express love? What is my process in doing that? Uh, Well, a lot of times, one of the ways I love you, and some people are quite frankly afraid of it, um, is because I will ask you the hard question. I love you. I'm not going to let you dwell that way. Let's figure this out. Let's, let's do that. And the joy side, well, figure that one out. I'm, I just kind of like to see fun in everything. I, I think God is the creator of that. Um, but I really enjoy the fellowship of the body. I, I just, I love that. So, sacred work is doing God's work after him, doing God's work after him, or displaying his attributes. Make sense? We good? I can't hear you at all. All right, good. All right, let's move on. Um, We're uh, 15 or 20 minutes in. It's probably time we looked at the passage, right? All right. Let's look at the passage. So let's get a big picture of this before we dive into the details. First of all, um, this isn't just theological truth. Paul gets incredibly practical here, but he's got some teeth. And part of me just says, look, Paul, you've been encouraging all the way up until now. What in the world are you doing? I just wish you were here to explain it all. And Paul mentions the disorder or unruliness almost in passing in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 because it seems he's beginning to see some problem form amongst them that he wants them to get in front of. And so then in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And in 5, he says, we urge you, brothers, here's the big one, admonish the idle, admonish the unruly, admonish the undisciplined. Don't encourage them, encourage the faint-hearted. And don't necessarily help them, help the weak. But, or and, be patient with all of them. Always be patient. Okay, well, good shepherding includes correction. It includes that part of care where something is out of whack and it doesn't need encouragement and it's not supposed to look like assistance. Admonishment has its place to play. Admonishment must play its role. It should not and cannot be avoided. And it must be dealt with so that the kingdom does not poorly reflect Jesus Christ. That's all it's for. That's what it's for. And that's the thing about proper discipline. If you're talking about somebody you're trying to correct, It shouldn't be about anger or hatred or frustration or some other word you use when somebody's not operating on your script, okay, and you just want to get them back in line. No, that's not what this is. This is care about a fellow brother or sister. Look at them in the eye, not some social media post, but look at them in the eye and saying, you were bought with a price and I think you're blind to something. 
And that doesn't work, so let's get you back aligned with scripture. And the very first thing we have to do, we ought to do, is remind them of who they are in Christ. The rescue that Christ performed and what they're called to. Paul reminds them of their identity because he wants to remind them about what the idol can be separated from. And, And that's what he's done in this first part. He says, I mean, here's your identity. You have increasing faith. The Holy Spirit is working in your life. Don't be fearful. God's got you. This is okay. And he's coming back. We get to enjoy him forever. And so stand firm because not because it's just easier to stand firm or it's hard. It's because you were chosen by God and that God is always faithful. Please, church, hear me. Remember your identity. Remember who we are. Okay, please. I wasn't gonna go there, but I feel like I need to. Um. Mm. This is true if you are a child of God. But if you are not a child of God, The only thing that's true for you on this slide is number three. He's coming in glory. And for you, that's not something to rejoice. That's something to be concerned about. Now here's the thing, if if you're looking at this saying, look, I don't know what this Christianity thing is. I'm afraid, I'm embarrassed. You're talking about all this stuff and I feel like You know, my life is not that. Um, I want to talk to you. And if that means I'm talking to you right now, well, okay, maybe not right now. I've got a sermon to finish. But I will find you somebody to talk to if that's what you need. I'm serious. If you want to do that right now, I'm cool. That's good. This is too important to miss. And And if you're too embarrassed to do it in the middle of service, that's fine. Talk to me after. We'll find people. There's probably somebody sitting right next to you that can walk you through some of this. Look, this is too big a deal not to have the identity, not to understand that Christ through the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us a totally different identity. Okay. Yeah, we got time. Okay, so let's go through the passage in some detail. You ready? Here we go. And see if we can understand what the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying it, why he's saying it. Because I know some of you are sitting out there and can hardly get, hardly wait till Dan gets to the don't work, don't eat part of this sermon. I know it. You're wait, you've got somebody you want to lay it on, and you're waiting for the what you're waiting for the tools to do it. Let me see if I can get you there. All right. So let's go back to the passage itself. Now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness, and we talked about that already, disorderly, unruly, and not in accord with the tradition that you see from us, because you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. So look at the actual command. First of all, who's it to? 
to the unruly ones, to the ones who are in discipline? No, it's not. It's to the ones who are not unruly. He's not talking specifically to the offenders about causing disorder. He's talking to the obedient ones about the offenders. And what does he say? Oh, he's forceful here. This is huge. We command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a command. He says that three times in this passage. He's not making some kind suggestion or urging some behavior. No, Paul brings as much force as he can. Command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to reach them. Hey, you hear what I'm saying. You're still brothers. And so are the offenders, the disorderly. And so here in six, verse 6, Paul tells them to keep away from the ones who are, look at it, walking in idleness. Look, this isn't somebody who's taken a break from work. It's, this separation is those who repeatedly, at apparently what now seems to be a character trait in their own lives, more than just being in neutral and not going anywhere or doing anything, we'll see that in a few minutes, but there's an intentionality here. They're, they're choosing to be idle and unruly. Let's compare a couple of verses. I want to show you something. Because Paul says, that's not what we did. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden of, to any of you in 2.9. And in 3, 7, and 8, he says, uh, just look at verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now, I don't know if you can really pick this up from the passage. It's kind of hidden there. I'm thinking that Paul's point is that he didn't want to be a burden to any of them. At least that's kind of what I'm getting out of it. So... Um, I guess the point is that Paul tried to set this example, not tried to, Paul set this example because there are some that are unruly and he doesn't like it. And verse nine, I can't believe it. Yeah, verse nine. It was not because we don't have the right. He said, you know, we had the right to take bread from you. He says, not because we don't have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Okay, Paul says two things that are kind of important. One, he says they have the right to more or less be compensated for being there. Now, we're not going to go in depth here about why those who preach and teach the church have the absolute biblical right to be cared for by the church for their efforts. We've had other sermons and teaching on that already. I think it's, I think it's something we be, need to be reminded of regularly. And so let me just say this briefly here. As a guy who doesn't get paid for that because I'm an accountant, this is important. We don't pay pastors and staff to be shepherds. Okay? We don't. Cornerstone Community Church does not pay its pastors or pay its shepherds to be shepherds. No, we pay them so that they're freed up from all the other cares and worries about that side so that they're, so they can shepherd. See, there's a huge distinction. So if I say I'm paying you to be this shepherd, 
Well, that's one thing. But if I say, no, I'm giving you money because I, I, there's stuff I don't want you to have to worry about where to live. I don't want you to have to worry about food. I want those concerns taken care of, provided so that you can concentrate on equipping the saints for the work of ministry. I think that's important to understand. That's their primary job. That's the way they glorify God. That's how it's played out in their lives. And scripture says they deserve that. But for this particular church, for this heavily persecuted church, Paul says, look, I don't want to take anything. I don't want you to have to do that because I don't want to give the people who aren't working an excuse for not working and taking from the church. So I'm going to do exactly the opposite of that. Okay? Okay. Wow, I'm all the way over here. Okay. All right, you hanging on? Here it comes. Here comes the don't work, don't eat piece. I know you're looking forward to it. Let's, uh, let's stop here for a minute. Let's talk about what it isn't. This passage gets taken out of context all the time. I just want to read verse 10 so we're all clear on what it actually says. And then we're going to talk about what we tend to make it say. For when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not... <clears throat> if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, so here's how we translate it in our own heads. Look, we, we justify our lack of compassion for someone who's in crisis. We do all the analysis and problem solving in our heads and we say, now I know your problem, you just need to work harder. Or we, as judge and jury, we get to determine that the work they're doing doesn't quite rise to the level of real work. So yeah, I don't really have to get involved and help you on that one. Here's one of my favorites. Really, not that I ever heard this as a kid, um, which, I, quite frankly, I don't think I really ever did. But um, here's this one. <clears throat> if you don't do your homework, you don't get dinner. You don't work, you don't eat. Well, if you look at the passage, we have to look, that's not what this passage is about. If you look at what the verse actually says, it says, Paul says to keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness, they're, they're still family and therein lies the problem. See, the, the, one, the idle ones know their family and they believe that brothers and sisters probably properly submissive to the will of God and to his will are to care for those in need. And there's a really significant truth in that, but they're milking it. And so Paul reminding, reminding him that he took no money from them does two things. First of all, he says, look, I didn't want to be a burden. And we've already talked about that. But reminding him of that puts his action, his example in sharp contrast to what the idol are doing. The idol are saying, absolutely not. You support me because that's what you're supposed to do. And Paul turned that whole thing on his head and said, no, that's not the way it works. Okay. Here's what Paul isn't saying. Paul isn't saying there's an issue with those not working, the ones that don't have a job, the ones that are incapacitated or, or older maybe or... I mean, he's not looking down at legitimate needs and crises. And the truth is, the passage doesn't say, don't work, don't eat. 
That's how we translate it. Okay, that's, that's the flavor we add to it. The passage says, for those who are not willing to work, they've made a conscious choice not to examine the examples they have. Instead, they determine that being idle and dependent on the church is the preferred lifestyle. They've chosen disobedience, and rather than be Christ-like, which Paul spent the whole first part of the book reminding him about, and here's the really difficult part. They weren't just not working. 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, just busy bodies. They interfered with the work of others. They, they were busy with their own intrusive activities. See, we no longer see them working side by side with the other believers to reflect the gospel for the unity and the, and the mission of the Thessalonian church. In fact, they're charged with actually working against the body. So as I interpret this the way I see it, I see these idol as intentionally, intentionally, refusing to care for themselves, hampering the work of ministry, the very thing we're called to, and therefore in desperate need of correction. Now, Todd's gonna cover all the correction stuff next week, because if I do it, again, you'll end up paying rent. Um, so they're, cause, they're, they're causing disorder, and that has to stop. And so in 12, Paul concludes with this thought. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord, Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Well, this one's pretty simple. It's a command and an encouragement in the power of and the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do your work without grumbling, without thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, sorry. Earn your own living and that way you can be of service to the rest of the body. In short, idleness is actually disorder of what God had created and modeled for us. That brings dishonor to Christ and his church, and it works to prevent the spread of the gospel. Don't do that. Now next time, Todd's gonna walk through the end of the book, and it all starts here. As for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Do good. Remember, Work is sacred. Don't get in my way. Let me work. Let me work in ministry. That's what I should be doing. See, this whole passage is a command and encouragement for us to remember that through the blood and work of Jesus Christ and his desire for a relationship with us, that we are family. Work is good. It was created that way. But behaving as family brings him honor and shows the rest of the world what that love actually means in our own lives. So here's my encouragement. Let's reflect him well. God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you provide to us to look into your word. Oh God, I pray that we would filter everything through the fact that we are to bring you glory, that we are to work as you work, that we are to display your attributes, and God, that we would not hamper the work of ministry. Oh, Father, that we would not get in the way. 
that we would work along with your spirit in the direction you've asked us to. Father, thank you for this place. Thank you for this church, this expression, this local expression of your bride. Oh God, thank you for Cornerstone, for the people that you've put here. God, may we all work together to bring you glory and honor. In your name, amen.